0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Sweden in Focus, the locals weekly podcast looking at what's happening in Sweden with the election now just a week away. And this week we're going to discuss reports that the centre party leader Annie Love was an intended target when a woman was murdered on Gotland this summer. We'll look at increasing evidence that some Swedish parties are using duplicitous means to dramatically increase their visibility on social media. And now that the Sweden Democrats are polling as Sweden's second biggest party, we'll take a closer look at what a government supported by or including the far right party would mean for Sweden. And finally, we'll listen to an excerpt from a chat Richard had with the Justice Minister Morgan Johansson, and we'll consider with the help of the head of a social movement in Malmo whether the Social Democrats and other parties proposals for tackling crime are likely to be effective. I'm Paul Amani and I'm joined this week by James Savage. Welcome back from your holiday. Thank you. And in the Malmo studio we have Becky Waterton and Richard Orange. How are you?
2: Very
3: well. Good, thank you.
0: Good, and we've got an article coming up on the site about what it's like uh, making friends in Sweden. Can I ask all of you how you've done it? Start with you, James.
1: <laughs> um, look, I'm, I'm lucky because I, I moved to Sweden with my husband and he had lots of friends already and then gradually... I just sort of, you know, I went to work, made friends through work and through friends of friends of my husband and but it took a long time before I got my own group of friends I felt that you know these are mine and not just I'm not just a hanger on of my husband. Mm. It just takes time. It just takes time. But it also takes learning the language I think as well if you want to make friends with actual Swedes because don't think that their facility with English means that they want to spend their whole free time speaking another language.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. How about you, Becky?
3: I think I'm definitely still on the hanging on to my husband's friends phase, which wasn't made easier by moving here just before the pandemic started, and then having a baby just before the pandemic started, which is, you know, great for your social life. <laughs> but I've I've just started kind of, everyone has always been saying you need to jo- join like a training, like join some sort of activity. So I started doing ceramics, and now I've got a place in a ceramics studio where I chat with some Swedes there, so slowly but surely trying to make some Swedish friends that don't already know my husband and didn't go to school with him. So definitely in the earlier stages of, uh, of James's timeline.
0: And Richard, what can you tell us about this article that's coming up? What's the sort of focus of the article?
2: You didn't ask me about my friends. Um, but, but, <laughs> <laughs> tell us about your friends, Richard. Tell us about your friends first, go on. Yeah, go on. I mean, with me, we had a baby almost as soon as I arrived in Sweden. So we went straight to this open foreschooler and I met a really good solid group of friends who all had kids the same age and were all in half Swedish, half foreign couples. So we had this massive network. But now, actually, as all the kids have gone to school, that's kind of falling apart. So at the moment, I need to kind of go out and meet friends independently of my children. So I need to actually kind of reboot my social life a little at the moment.
0: Well, now now that's good. We, we're up to date on your friends. How about this article? <laughs>
2: This article's by our intern, Rita Cruz, who's, I think, moved to Sweden with a partner and found that she's found it hard to make friends. So she's just done a course in data journalism. So she dug down into the data and the research that's been done on on loneliness by Statistics Sweden and found out that um, that, that foreigners were, in fact, quite a lot lonelier <laughs> than Swedes, not surprisingly, who, who've who grown up here and mm. and have their sort of their own social networks and we also did a survey to bring it a little bit up to date and again you know obviously a lot of respondents said that they struggled to make friends with Swedes in Sweden and most of their social network was still other foreigners which is you know in a way is unsurprising but I think it's important to highlight it because it's a problem it's something that a lot of people experience when they come to Sweden Uh, perhaps more so than I mean it's Perhaps something that happens, yeah. whatever country you move to. But I think it is maybe a little bit tougher in Sweden than you know Germany or France or some other countries mm. in Europe.
3: So I, I have this kind of theory: all Scandinavians, when they're born, get given like twenty friend tickets, and by the time they're in gymnasium, gymnasium when they're, when they're like nineteen years old. All of those tickets have been used up. So the only way you can get in and steal one of those tickets is if a friend moves abroad or moves to a different city or someone moves to a different area (laughs) or someone dies. And then you can quickly come in and be like, be my friend. And you can steal one of these tickets and get yourself a Swedish friend. And I think that that's just like changed the whole way I look at Swedes. Like you have your group of close friends. All of my husband's friends pretty much are people (laughs) he went to school with and There's not really any new additions to that group unless it's someone's girlfriend or, you know, someone who's moved back from Stockholm that has been who used to live in Malmö. And it's it's, I think it's very true.
2: I actually think Sweden is easier than Denmark for making friends because when I've edited the, the Danish site, I've done similar stories on on foreigners being lonely and it seems like danes really do have that friendship tickets they meet their friends at school they meet their friends at university and then they have these very closed friendship groups whereas i think in sweden a lot of people it, it's quite, it's it's a slightly more atomized society sweden it's more individualistic so there's a lot of people moving to malmo or moving to stockholm by themselves for a job and and they're looking to make friends too and i think when i i've met quite a lot of swedes who who don't have a friendship network in, in Malmö who are looking to kind of to meet people, which I don't think is maybe as common in Denmark.
0: OK, let's uh, let's get on to this week's news. So earlier this summer, psychiatric care coordinator Ingri Wieselgreen was stabbed to death by a right-wing extremist at the Almadalen political festival. And last week it emerged that one of the targets of the attack was the centre party leader, Annie Love. And this is obviously... Quite a shocking story. Why was Annie Love a target, and how has she reacted?
1: Let's start by saying, you know, what what, what we found out last week was um, that uh, Annie Love had been named as a effectively a party in the case. She'd been given a she'd been given a, a legal representative to represent her. Um, in the trial of Theodor Engström, who mm. um, who who was accused of, of the murder of Ingmarie Vissigian, we don't know exactly why he was why why she was targeted. In the sense that you know that, that we have relatively little information released by the prosecutors and by the police. But we know that Theodor Engström was um, had first of all he had psychiatric issues. Secondly, he had the history as as a, a supporter and a supporting member of the Nordic uh, Nordicum which is a, a violence far right group in Sweden. What we also know, is that Annie Love has been the target of an incredible wave of hatred, particularly in far-right environments, in the Sweden, you know, in in, in the environments around the Sweden Democrats, in the Sweden Democrats' um, own web TV channel. Uh, Riks has um, targeted her as a particular hate figure. Mm. She's been been called by them variously a threat to democracy and Sharia Annie because she's supportive of, of, of immigration. Annie Love herself has said that she's been threatened by far-right activists before. One thing that Annie Love has said in the past is that far-right activists released a film of themselves laying out what they called a Last Supper. On her driveway, lovely. Um, yeah, re- really charming. And clearly, she's you know she's seen herself as being as being a threat. She is seen as being as as being threatened by these groups. The reason for this, above all else, is that she has taken a very strong anti-Sweden Democrat stance. She's been very strongly opposed to them and. The Centre Party's refusal to join with the other centre-right parties, Centre Party is a centre-right party, the, her refusal to join with them um, in working with the Sweden Democrats is seen as you know something that might prevent the Sweden Democrats from gaining further influence, from the, the right-wing gaining further influence and from, from stricter migration policies being enacted. So, you know, in that sense, she has become something of a hate figure. On the far right, but also by elements you see on twitter on the on of of, of what you would call the, the normal mainstream center right she's mm. not she is not popular in, on that side of politics at all
0: yeah this sort of ties in a little bit with the the next story there was a, a report last week where it was alleged that the sweden democrats have sort of a secret troll army patrolling the internet their own web channel ricks which is which is very much not secretive. But there's this allegation that they also have a more covert operation. What can you tell us about that, Richard?
2: Well, yeah, it was a report in the Dargens ETC newspaper, which is a sort of left wing newspaper in Sweden. And the claim is that there's the secret group within the Sweden Democrats headquarters called Battlefield, which is based in a darkened windowless room in the headquarters and sort of Coordinates a sort of social media drive is the word they use in Swedish as sort of a drive or campaigns yeah. against. Well, they use various... the
3: word war. They say krieg.
2: They call it a, a war, a krieg, and they say they use a kind of battle uh, technique drawn from Nazi Germany, where lots of individual people are allowed to take their own decisions without direction from the leadership. And and it, it's a kind of it's a very colourful article, which is is reporting from inside the headquarters, but. If you read in it it, it, it then turns out that the source is from before 2018. So obviously, the reporter's spoken to someone who was working there before 2018 and can explain where it is and then later on in the article it goes well you know our sources said that this is still happening and that they still run this troll army from inside the headquarters what happened in 2018 according to this source is that they would make decisions and then these various news sites like Politic incorrect or of pixlad would then amplify them and then lots of sort of twitter accounts would then jump on it and create a kind of volume and then ordinary people would then join the sort of campaign and start tweeting similar sorts of tweets you set the whole tone for social media and while the report doesn't really have much evidence as to what's happening now I think my experience of of Twitter during the campaign is that this is definitely happening. I mean there there is this there's this sort of angry wave of tweets whenever anyone discusses anything which is part of the especially the Sweden Democrats but also the broader right wing policy areas you get all of these people like going yeah you know and Making these kind of troll like comments and a lot of them are anonymous there's a huge amount of anonymous twitter accounts and yeah, and then there was also a report in afton that, that that mapped these Twitter accounts they analyze um sort of networks particularly with the um this account about the um the 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 train in the the, yeah, the, the tweet that tweets Tobias about- Anderson does on on a train to Kabul, which was we've spoken about in previous episodes and and it said that when they tweeted that it was immediately tweeted by. Hundreds of accounts that were, you know, if you dig into them, they're either robot account, they're either bots or they're what they call cyber
3: cyborg cyborg
2: <laughs> accounts, which are which are, aren't bots because they're controlled by a person.
3: So the person they interviewed about it, he didn't know anything about Swedish politics in advance, so it wasn't kind of coloured by whatever party he prefers. But he he identified the moderates and the Sweden Democrats is being specifically using this technique of retweeting with uh, bot accounts.
2: I mean, one thing, I mean, j- just as an example, last night I was watching the electricity debate on, um, on SVT. And if you look at the Twitter coverage of it, it's Entirely one-sided and very angry, sort of more angry than you'd expect people to be about Especially electricity. In yeah, I, 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 I do wonder how many of those accounts reacting to what everyone says are real, and to what extent it's part of a campaign. Which I think in Sweden it's quite effective because Sweden is, as everyone says, a consensus society. So if people go on Twitter and feel the consensus is this, it affects the beliefs that people feel they can hold probably to a greater extent than it would in the UK or the US.
1: Yeah, and probably what's important here as well is that it affects, it affects media coverage because obviously we journalists obsess about Twitter because we're journalists and we spend a lot of time on Twitter. But politicians also... Spend a lot of time on Twitter, and other journalists spend a lot of time on Twitter. And what I think happens here is that it affects it affects the kind of policies that they that, that are put forward. It 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 affects the psychology of the political debate itself. It's not that it's not that ordinary voters are sitting there and looking at Twitter and thinking, "Oh, well, you know, this is how the debate is developing," and maybe I agree with these trolls or those trolls. It's more that that, that you know the people who are making the decisions who are framing the debate are subtly pushed in one in, in one way or another.
0: Okay, let's look now at what a government backed by the Sweden Democrats might mean for Sweden. In previous Swedish elections, All of the other parties pledged never to cooperate with the far-right Sweden Democrats and that all changed when first the Christian Democrats and then the moderates said they would be open to a government that leaned on the Sweden Democrats for support and gradually the Liberals also came around to this way of thinking. So now we have three parties that say they would be happy to form a government backed by the Sweden Democrats and with this in mind we thought this week we'd take a look at what direction Sweden is likely to take over the next four years if the right-wing bloc gets to form a government. First of all, I guess we should look at a list of policies that Jimmy Okason released yesterday, focusing on migration. Richard, I think you've been looking at that.
2: I mean, one of the things I think is really interesting about this list of 30 proposals on asylum is that he didn't say it's a Sweden Democrat policy. He goes, this is Sweden's new immigration law, Sweden's future immigration law. So he's saying, this is what I expect. We're leading this as a Sweden Democrats and the other parties will back us. So he's presenting this as something for a future government rather than a Sweden Democrat proposal, which is... You know, I think, quite provocative, I would argue. And also, in terms of the framework, it's not that different from what the moderates are themselves proposing. If you look at the moderates' own manifesto, it says we want to make Swedish immigration policy the strictest it can be under EU law. And all the Sweden Democrats do is say, this is what we think is possible under EU law. So it is very dramatic. For example, they're planning to scaffold, which means just completely remove the right to permanent residency, which means that as an asylum seeker, you will always be on a temporary permit and just have to renew it over and over and over again. And the moment anything changes, the moment your country's deemed safe, you will then have to go back under their plan.
0: And how does this affect people on work visas? Would they be able to get permanent residency or would this affect them too?
3: They're saying it's for asylum legislation, but if there's one thing we know about Sweden... It's that very often people talk about immigrants and refugees as being the same. Like people are like the parties are quite bad at kind of saying, "Oh no!" But now we mean work permit immigrants. Now we mean asylum seekers. Now we mean this.
1: What what Becky was saying, you know, is is right. And you know, one example of that are the rules about family reunification, being able to bring your 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 relatives over. Those w- rules were tightened with very much with refugees in mind. But obviously, the tightening of those rules also had a significant effect on people who moved over here for completely different reasons. So there's a very serious risk or chance that changes in one part of immigration policy will have a knock on effects elsewhere.
2: I mean, can I sort of sort of go a bit big picture? As if you look at what happened, Sweden is the last Scandinavian country where this has happened. I mean, the last Nordic country. In Norway, you've had a coalition of the Populist Party and the right-wing party. In Denmark, you had a really weak minority government that was completely dependent on the Danish People's Party, the Populists for Power. And I think in Finland, the, the Finns were either in the government or at least in the supporting coalition. So Sweden's actually the last country for this to happen. The question that I think is interesting is whether the Sweden Democrats are, in some sense, a different party and will behave differently from the way the populists did in these other Scandinavian countries. From the Danish model, I think one thing that's quite frightening is that the immigration minister in Denmark, Inga Stoiberg, she became almost more extreme than anyone in the Danish People's Party she completely took their approach and tried to sort of outcompete them and become the sort of strictest figure. It, it's hard to... She was so provocative and so popular. There was she, this
3: viral story where she, like, ordered a cake to celebrate bringing in Denmark's most strict... Yeah, what was it? She 50 celebrated
2: new, 50 strict... 50 new immigrations. New immigrations. And then she kept, kept on bringing out the cake whenever she had a, another milestone. Like, she did 100, I think, before the election.
3: She's also just started a new party, Denmark's Demokratena. Oh, has she? Yeah, where do you think she got the inspiration for that from?
2: But she got booted out. She got kicked out because... Because then the party turned against her. But the underlying point is that what happened in Denmark was that the equivalent of the moderates became as extreme as the Sweden Democrats and basically did everything that they would want. And, and I think that could easily happen. The moderates would put someone in place as the migration minister who would then drive through the sort of reforms that the Sweden Democrats have put in their leaflet. I think that's what we can pretty much expect to happen.
3: Yeah. And I mean, they're also, this report is called Lowest Immigration in Europe. So even though they say it's about asylum immigration, the actual report is called lowest immigration,
2: which is exactly the formulation that the Danish People's Party used. We want to have Europe's strictest immigration policy. As often happens with the Sweden Democrats, they've taken it directly from Denmark.
1: I think what's interesting here is whether this is um, whether this is going to work for the moderates. Whether doing what you what you're saying here is going to work for the moderates. If whether. Aping Sweden Democrat immigration policies is in the long run going to be something that for the moderates is a sustainable policy. Because if you look at what's happening now in the polls, the moderates are polling at their worst levels for... Decades. I mean, and, po- and possibly in some polls, even worse. You know, that I think they got they got something like fifteen percent of the vote in um, in in about um, what was it in, under Bull Lundgren in the early two thousands. And you know, in some in 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 some polls, they're doing even worse than that. They could even do worse than under Bull Lundgren. and that's at a time when they are effectively you know trying to sound as tough on immigration and, and, and on crime and disorder as the Sweden Democrats. You know, their whole policy is to sound as as tough as possible and to sound as, you know, close to the Sweden Democrats as possible, effectively. The question is whether this strategy works or whether it just simply makes people think that they, if they're going to vote for that kind of policy, then they'll vote for the real deal, which is the Sweden Democrats, and if it just helps the Sweden Democrats. Because right now, looking at the polls, it, that seems to be what's happening.
2: I mean, that's on the posters. It says. I've seen posters saying rustafut for original vote for the original uh, by a uh, Sweden Democrat Val Stugo, which I think is, is quite a potent message.
3: Yeah. I think it would be very interesting if the Sweden Democrats end up being the biggest party, which it looks like they probably will, because there are lots of areas where they are quite left wing and there where I can imagine there being some kind of issues with the moderates. Like Jimmy Orkerson was saying that he wouldn't accept lowering the r so the um, unemployment insurance, and the moderates have said that they want to lower that. So that's that's already one issue before the election where they don't agree. Because I think the Sweden Democrats have kind of have got a lot of voters that are like traditional workers. So it could be like, like old Social Democrat voters. I think that also kind of raises the question of where are they going to compromise? What are the Sweden Democrats willing to give up in their kind of economic policy.
1: It's interesting to, it's interesting because, you know, what you could end up with, depending a little bit on how coalition negotiations go, if what you can, could end up with with a Social Democrat-led government is quite a lot of the centre party's economic policy, which they've been quite good at forcing on the Social Democrats in this last period... And that would be, you know, centre-right economic policy, whereas what you could end up with if you, with the moderates forming a government, is quite a lot of centre-left economic policy through the Sweden Democrats. It's a sort of an upside-down kind of world, depending a little bit on how coalition negotiations went. The other thing that
2: happened in Denmark when you had this minority centre-right government backed by a bigger far-right party was that they did drive a, a broadly kind of left-wing policy on wealth, well, at least a centrist policy on welfare and hospitals and pensions and things like that. So the Danish People's Party didn't just drive them to the right on immigration, but also to the left on welfare, which didn't happen in Norway because the Progress Party is economically right-wing as well as politically.
1: What the moderates would be hoping for is that they can give the Sweden Democrats some red meat on immigration and then basically run economic policy themselves. But you know, that's by no means guaranteed, particularly if they are the second largest party on that side of politics. I think, I think we should pause a minute and reflect on what a big event it would be if, if the moderates, as looks likely um are overtaken by the Sweden Democrats and lose their lose their status as sec- as the second largest party you know just just on a very symbolic level they would they, w- they would be kicked out of their offices in the Swedish Riksdag which they've been in since as long as anyone can remember um, they, those are the moderates offices and they would be unceremoniously booted out and the Sweden Democrats would move in the Sweden Democrats would then basically be the official there's no such thing as the official opposition, but, you know, if even if the Social Democrats stayed in government, the, the Sweden Democrats would be the second largest party, the moderates would no longer have that very, you know, particular status that goes with that. Even if it, you know, for the time being, wouldn't look likely that the Sweden Democrats would be the um, obvious candidates to be the alternative prime minister. Still a massive, massive moment.
0: Just a reminder that if you're a paying member of The Local, we have a weekly newsletter called Sweden Elects that's produced by editor Emma Lovegrain and focuses on the upcoming election. You can sign up now at thelocal.se forward slash newsletters. And if you're not a paying member but would like to become one, we have a special offer for podcast listeners at thelocal.se forward slash podcast offer. Now, crime and punishment have been front and centre of the election campaign in a year that has already seen 47 fatal shootings in Sweden, two more than in all of last year. We're going to talk now about how Sweden's political parties want to get to grips with violent crime, starting with the ruling Social Democrats. Uh, Richard was in Kalmar in the southeast of Sweden last week to catch up with Justice Minister Morgan Johansson. And we're going to listen now to some of what he had to say.
5: We've had a level on gang-related crime now in, in Sweden that has uh, that has increased for the last years. I mean, the the roots of this was created twenty twenty-five years ago, but has now in, increased in uh, the, the last years, and in a way that that we really has made us think of how 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 do we turn this around, and for the. Most actively, uh, most active criminals—they the, the, those ones who are doing the most crimes. We, I really think that we need to have longer pun- punishments and longer period of time to have them into the well to the prison correctional services mm. uh, in order to work with them to re to reha- rehabilitate them. Mm. And we have had sh- too short punishments for quite severe crimes, and we also have have had a problem that we have sentenced people for. For a couple of months in prison and then they're out again committing more crimes but that has to be combined of course with also uh prevention initiatives i mean do a lot lot more on uh, the on on issues of concerning young people schools uh, education active after school activities and social services so you have to combine these these two things to be very tough on the people who are doing the most crime and get them because if you don't get them off the streets mm. then they will keep on being uh, recruiting so you're saying so, so, so
2: you're saying the main reason you think long sentence is to get people off the streets
5: get the most active yes those people who are committing most crime we have to get them off the streets in order, otherwise they will recruit new generations into these uh, gangs and they will also be some kind of role bad role models we've just been listening to
0: Sweden's somewhat embattled Justice Minister Morgan Johansson, who you may remember narrowly survived a vote of no confidence recently. We haven't seen much of him in the election campaign. Did he seem like a man under pressure when you met him, Richard?
2: Uh, quite the opposite, actually. He seemed I- extremely relaxed. I mean, is a pretty nice place, so I think he was uh, enjoying. But I asked him actually about that, about what it feels like to be the person who has taken the mantle of Dan Eliasson, the former head of the police, as the kind of the person the the populist right yeah. blames for crime in Sweden. So he is the person who is... You know, it's it's laid at his door. You know, he's the ridiculous human who's 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 allowed all the gangs to go around shooting people. So his Twitter feed must be a nightmare. <laughs> um, but he was just he he was. Ex- I asked him about that, and he was just like, you know what? It doesn't bother me at all. I've been a politician for a minister for 12, I don't know how many years, how many years has he been a minister? You know, I've been a minister for eight years, I've been in in parliament for 12, and and, and this is just water off a duck's back for me, it doesn't bother me in the slightest.
0: One thing that we heard is that he's in favour of longer sentencing what are some other policies the uh, parties are proposing to get to grips with crime in this election?
1: All the political parties, really, apart from apart from the, the Greens and the and the left party, are really sort of focusing and, and doubling down on crime and punishment. You know, even the, even the Social Democrats. So everyone wants more police officers. Both sides of politics want more police officers. They all want tougher. Sentencing of some kind or another. So tougher sentencing for young offenders on the Social Democrat side, just general tougher sentencing on everybody on the other side. Uh, The Social Democrats have a slightly different emphasis in that they borrowed effectively um, Tony Blair's mantra, tough on crime, tough on the causes of crime, saying, oh, well, you know, we want to have have strong punishments, tough punishments, but we we see that crime is also connected to levels of education and welfare, and we want to focus in on those as well. Moderates want stop-and-search zones where people can be searched for weapons even if they are not suspected of a crime, if they happen to be in a particular part of town that's been designated as a troubled area. Yeah. And, you know, together with the, the Sweden Democrats and, and the Liberals and the Christian Democrats, they've they're actually agreed on a, on a whole list of policies. They want to have eavesdropping on gangs, criminalising gang membership, and uh, deportation for, for people convicted of, of, of certain crimes if they happen to not be permanent resident citizens of Sweden. So some of the more left-field suggestions... That have come out in the law and order area. Uh, come from the Social Democrats. They want to be able to do um, to search people's homes without suspicion of a crime or without a warrant. The moderates uh, want to be able to take luxury items from gang criminals if those criminals or suspected criminals or gang members can't show how they acquired those items. Another another policy suggestion comes from the Sweden Democrats who want it um to be possible to punish young people children by giving them uh community service orders so you know cleaning toilets and stuff and where the where the purpose of this would be would would, would specifically be to to um humiliate them um to make them embarrassed in front of their friends and 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 with the idea that this would have a a, a deterrent effect so quite a lot of stuff here quite a lot of what you might call creative suggestions, um, but obviously, you know, that come that are also coming in for a lot of criticism from people on the more liberal side.
0: One of the policy proposals I'm most interested in is um, this one about confiscating luxury items because more than just over two decades ago, Ireland had a big problem with gangland crime and there were some really high-profile murders and the Irish police set up something called the Criminal Assets Bureau and this is exactly what it was set up to do to sort of you know target the the proceeds of crime and it's the consensus is that it it has it has worked a lot of the gang leaders have gradually moved abroad because they've they've had so many of their assets confiscated that they've just figured that you know crime doesn't pay maybe it's time to get out of here will that work in Sweden as well
2: what they did in Ireland was to target you know the bosses and say you know Here's your racehorse. Where's that from? Here's you know, you know. And I think if you do that, like for example, this case I covered for Vice, the the guy who was this actually Swedish, the big drug importer, he had a apartment in Turning Torso, which is pretty much the most luxury place you can live in Malmo, and no, no source of income. And I think if if they go after those people, you know, the people they know are the 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 head honchos who they can't actually get evidence. To tie them to a crime. If they go after those guys then and say, well, where's your car from? Then that, that could be effective. I think if they go out onto the streets of Rinkaby and stop anyone with a gold chain, it will be just it will be really bad for, for, for trust and segregation and you know, it would just build a great sense of animosity.
0: We can get back to these in a moment, but we're going to listen now to a chat I had yesterday with uh, Nicholas Lunaba, who has spent the last 16 years as the head of Hela Malma, a social movement which operates a network of support structures and activities for children living in disadvantaged neighbourhoods in Malma. And Hale Malma's work is research-based, and despite not coming from an academic background himself, he has a long-standing relationship with Malma University, which awarded him an honorary doctorate earlier this year for his ability to put theory into practice. Let's listen now to what he had to say, and I started by asking him why he thinks Sweden has so many problems with violent crime at the moment.
4: What we often talk about is you have to... Uh, To prevent these social problems, you have to have the social tools to reach the kids. And what we Mm -hmm. often talk about is it's kind of a sociological uh, approach, which is young people and people in general need different contexts that they can uh, exist within. For example, if you are if you feel safe in school, you feel safe at home you feel safe with your friends and you feel safe walking around the neighborhood you have different contexts where you can just be free and you can be who you are the problem with a lot of these young people who are dragged into crime and and stuff like that is they they are deprived of these uh these contexts so so what they what they stick to is what they know and what they have and that's their friends and yeah. the group that they feel if not safe, then less uh, unsafe. So I think to really uh, build social, uh, what we call a social infrastructure with with different contexts for them to be in, where they meet people who love them, who meet them with with respect, Mm -hmm. who also knows what they're going through and stuff like that. So it's about, again, working with the social tools rather than the repressive tools that uh, we, we keep hearing about all the time. And of course, in our organization, we have proof of this. When we built the social infrastructure in, in an area and we approach the young people who sold drugs with these sort of, we, we could be kind of like role models for them because we are ourselves from that type of area. Yeah. They come up to us, we get to know them, and then we can you know, we have connections so they can get a job or, or stuff like that, you know, start studying or something like that. So it's about meeting them where they are and change the course of their lives by approaching them, uh, you know, within their world of uh, of feelings and thoughts and really respecting them and understanding what they go through.
0: Yeah. And your organization has been quite successful in this and you've received prizes do you think that the politicians are looking closely enough at at your project and similar projects are they talking to you are they
4: are they acting on on the sort of experiences that you're seeing interesting question my first uh answer would be absolutely not because you can look at malmo you can look at especially the the parties that that are the, like the, the the biggest parties in sweden they have chosen this very destructive path of repression, beating down on the most vulnerable g- groups in society, mm-hmm. using a language which, which is both racist and, and polarizing. And all of a sudden, for them to change course is very hard, because mm. then they will, as we say, uh, they will lose face, their yeah. face, uh, meaning they, they uh, you know, they, they can't do that for themselves. So they have to keep uh, this uh, destructive negative and wrong path instead of doing building something constructive and they have adapted the swedish democrats rhetoric and and also um uh, the way they view people and how, mm. how they um, divide us into groups out of you know from race and and culture and uh, religion so they are a, a party that is that has a, a authoritarian and racist fo- racist foundation, and unfortunately, these other parties are using the same rhetoric and the same tactics. The justice
5: minister
0: Morgan Johansson and other politicians um, talk a lot about tougher sentencing
4: for gun crime and drug-related offences. Are longer prison terms a good idea? I think by answering that question, we already know the answer. It's it's a part of their the kind of uh, right-wing populism that they use the rhetoric they use uh, again to get votes uh, we know it does not work if you can show me any serious study where it actually works then uh, we can talk about it when when a crime has been committed say we had a
0: like a 15 year old who um, shot and killed somebody in a, a shopping center in malmo recently and we've had similar shootings like that with young people involved mm-hmm.
4: Um what what should be done there if someone is a threat to themselves or someone else then they have to be uh sort of isolated that is a that is a common thing i mean it's a lot it's a logical and intelligent idea right so uh but if we are interested because in this country we are we are very interested in isolating punishing we if we believe that people should be given a second chance, if we, if young people can be re- rehabilitated, then we that's what we need to do. So if someone is a threat to themselves or someone else, then they have to be isolated, but not given up upon. We mm-hmm. still have to work with them and make sure that they can come out healthy on the other side. Any other way of working with young people is inhumane and wrong and immoral. So I think this is a talk about, does prison work? A prison sentencing and punishment and stuff like that. And what is the aim? What is the aim for doing this? So I think with young people, we should always have in, have in mind, they can always be better. We have to take care of them. We have failed. What can we do to prevent this from happening again? And what can we do so that, so that this person can come out better on the other side
0: that was Nicolas Lunaba from Hela Malmo, who, as you heard, was distinctly unimpressed with how Sweden's politicians are tackling crime prevention and punishment in the country.
3: I think it was interesting to hear that, like, someone who is, I guess we can call him an expert in this subject, just kind of feeling the same that I've heard from a lot of people, this kind of dismayed that people are talking about these issues when they don't actually know how to solve them. We kind of had the same, we heard the same thing from Andrea last week, um, who kind of was a specialist Mm -hmm. on segregation and integration. And just this whole feeling of like, if you actually want to stop this from happening, why don't you ask people that know about it? Why don't you look at the theory? But it's just this kind of feeling that politicians are just peddling sound bites that are gonna sound positive to people like, oh yeah, stronger sentences, that sounds great. That sounds like it'll make sense. But when you actually look into the data, It doesn't make sense and it makes much more sense to do other things instead.
1: It's hard to say to voters that effectively, well, more of the same is what's going to solve the issues of gun violence and gang violence in these areas. You know, I think the reason that the Sweden Democrats have grown so big and the reason that these issues have become so important in this election is that many Swedes are freaked out, shocked, horrified by reports of people being shot on... The streets of Sweden, even if they're in areas where most of the people who are voting for the Sweden Democrats don't actually live, they see it on the news and it freaks them out. And particularly, Sweden Democrat voters see the old establishment of politicians as responsible for this, for allowing what they would see as uncontrolled immigration and then for not punishing, as they would see it. and and not prosecuting criminals in these immigrant-dominated areas. You know, the immigration question and the crime and punishment question are so intrinsically, they're they're so closely uh, interlinked in people's minds. And anybody suggesting anything other than draconian punishments is not going to get a hearing from those voters at the moment. At least that's how the parties see it.
2: I think it's it's a, it's kind of important to underline that this 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 is not new. This is the pattern of politics you see in every country in the world and have done forever. That basically the majority of ordinary people think that the solution to crime is to string them up and hang them all, and uh, and uh, and criminologists almost to it, uh, you know, the experts all think that the solution is 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 not long sentences and tough punishments it's preventative measures and unfortunately the politics that the experts can never win over the politics on crime and punishment so every politician everywhere in the world from tony blair sort of has to sort of sort of basically sort of hold their breath and put in place policies that they know aren't backed by the evidence because that's what voters support
0: Okay, well, that's just about all for this week. We'll be back again next Saturday, which is the day before the election. And if you have anything that you'd like us to discuss, any issues that you feel merit some more coverage, please do get in touch with us. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, for example, at Sweden in Focus, or you can drop us an email at news at thelocal.se. Thank you, as always, for listening. And thank you to our regular panellists, Becky Waterton, James Savage and Richard Orange. And to our sound engineer, Rhys Edwards. Uh, Yeah, we'll be back again just in time for the election with a new episode. Until then, take care. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus.